Stevenson and welcome to Stand Tall, my podcast show. I look forward to sharing interviews and talks with and about people that create change, make an incredible difference and walk their talk. Everyone has their story, so stay with me as I peel back the layers of excellence in all walks of life. I often wonder what kind of person is fascinated by snakes and reptiles, as quite frankly they scare the bejesus out of me, just as much as heights and spiders. My next guest and mate Chris Williams has written several books on reptiles, including The Snake Ranch Guide to Reptile Care, an illustrated bibliography of Australian herpetological titles, and a photographic tribute to the reptiles and amphibians of Australia and New Zealand. And Chris is also the president of the Australian Herpetological Society. I hope I said that right, Chris. Chris has built an enviable reputation as one of the most trusted real estate agents in cities in the West. A licensed real estate agent and auctioneer, he consistently ranks in the top 10% of agents across Australia. And his professionalism shines through everything he does. Chris and I have been mates for years, ever since he ever so patiently tempted me with many, many houses as he works as a property expert in the inner west. I invite you to sit back and enjoy this, this talk with Chris as he takes on a journey from reptiles to real estate. Quite the contrast. Chris, great to have you with me this morning. Thank you, Andrew. It's a, it's a real pleasure to be here. When did, you first, uh, when did you first become interested in reptiles? And so our listeners understand, uh, snakes are also reptiles, and I had to look that up. <laughs> yes, snakes, lizards, crocodiles, alligators, turtles, tortoises and amphibians. So um, it was, uh, I was just born that way. It was, uh, it was an interest that I think every little boy and perhaps girl has from an early age and every parent waits for them to grow out of it. And uh, my parents were doing the same and it, it just never quite happened. It could have been worse. You could have been into spiders or, or, or were you? What's wrong with spiders? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, an interest in, I think, all natural history was there from an early age, but for some reason that I've never been able to understand or articulate, I think some kids grow up, you know, being fascinated in, in drawing or, or dancing or, you know, a whole myriad of things, and it just so happened that for whatever reason my DNA... Um, produce someone who was really interested in uh, in reptiles. So how did that manifest as you when you were in, when you were younger like in your childhood did you find that you were um, collecting blue uh, blue blue um, tunnel lizards and, and other reptiles from the backyard or did you find that you um, oh. had, to, had to kind of keep it quiet from your parents? No, the, the mum and dad were okay with um, the blue tongues and, and all the other lizards. It was the snakes that they had a problem with. And I remember um, I, uh, I took over the garden shed up the back and put my own lock on it. And uh, that, was, uh, that was my little area that no one else could go into. And then I don't know quite how mum broke in one day and, and one fish tank had a tiger snake and one had a death adder and one had something else. And so there was, uh, there was some tears and some screaming from both sides I think and uh, um, I had to find new homes for uh, for my more deadly pets. How did you come about getting the, the more deadly deadly pets? Go and catch them. Yeah, it's, uh, that's what you'd spend your weekend doing, um, going out in the bush and hunting around and trying to find these things. Did you find they were, they were easy to find in kind of, because you're a Sydney boy aren't you? Yeah, yeah, Sydney boy. Um, and uh, yeah, oh look there's, you know, Sydney's you know, quite good for 
you know, still reasonably unspoiled areas of bushland. And if you're prepared to spend the hours at it, and I was prepared to spend plenty of hours, you uh, eventually start figuring out where these things are living and uh, and sooner or later you're going to come across them. And you, I understand you had quite a collection at one stage. You kind of had a rented house where you you, you kept kept so many of the of the the, uh, the reptiles. Yeah, my um, business partner and I we ended up buying a house to to put them all in. But uh, um, I'm great friends with the owners of the reptile park up at Gosford, and they had a side business called Snake Ranch where they were breeding um, pet mainly snakes for uh, yeah for for the pet industry, and uh, I ended up purchasing that. So at the peak we had. Um, I, I say 5,000 snakes, it may not have quite hit that number, but they're the kind of figures we're talking. And uh, we had a staff of three and um, yeah, it was, uh, it was very exciting, but it was also a big distraction from my day job, which is a, a real estate agent in the inner west. Certainly got a passion for it, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's passion bordering obsession, but uh you try and moderate it with everything else that's going on in your life when you've got uh, when you've got a business and a family. So I think I've asked you this before. Do you have a, a favourite kind of type of snake or a um, one that stands out for you? Uh, look, I think everyone involved with reptiles has got a real soft spot for red belly black snakes. Um, you know, they get a bad rap because they're probably the most common of the large venomous snakes that you'd come across in the more populated areas. But anyone who works with them knows that. They, um, they quieten down very, very quickly. Um, they become quite amenable to handling and, and they're just a, uh, they're a spectacular looking animal with a, a really good disposition. So um, yeah, probably a, probably a red belly, closely followed by a, a death adder, I'd say. And you keep a number of your snakes at your home now. Um, do you have to hide them from your wife or are they kind of out in the open? Yeah, it's all out in the open now. The mistakes I, uh, or not mistakes I learned, but the, the uh, experiences I had living with mum and dad um, taught me that uh, the relationships going forward with um, with girlfriends and wives were going to have to be a. There was a few non-negotiables, and the snakes were one of them. So yeah, um, Karen, my wife, uh, is. Um, I wouldn't say support. Oh yeah, she'd be supportive, but um, probably more tolerant. Um, of uh, of what's around these days, I don't have any um, venomous or deadly snakes, but uh, um, I've got two kids, a uh, a nine year old daughter and a ten year old son, and and they're pretty interested in um in the snakes, and there's only three of them at the moment, snakes. So uh, when uh, their friends come over, my kids get to pull the snakes out of their cages and, uh, and show them off to the friends. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're all pretty small, so uh, yeah, the kids are the kids are able to handle them, which is really good. So you've got you've got two children, yeah, two uh, two kids, and uh, and a stepson Max, who is also living at home. He uh, he's now twenty eight, so pretty big gap between all three kids. It's quite a story with your children as well, isn't it? Uh, yeah, Karen um, Karen and I met when um, she was in her early 40s. I'd never been particularly hung up on ensuring my DNA was, um, you know, living on beyond me. So we made the decision to go through um, Bernardo's. Uh, Bernardo's find a family and we ended up um, going through their foster to adopt program. And uh, 
we got Lucas when he was 11 months old. And at the time that Lucas uh, came to live with us, we were told that uh, the same mother was pregnant again with um, what was to become our daughter. So, um, yeah, it was a great experience. And, um, you know, for anyone who is at that crossroads of, of, you know, IVF versus not having kids versus, you know, I guess any other options that are out there, um, you know, looking to adopt from overseas, we found the whole experience to be fantastic. We're um, blessed with two wonderful children and, um, you know, our family of five is, um, it's a great unit and we're all, uh, we're all very lucky. That's fantastic. It's great. Great, great to hear, Chris. Yeah. Even better is the fact that your two youngsters uh, have an interest in, in in the reptiles. Yeah, my, my daughter's is a very superficial interest, but um, I think if uh, I'd have bred my own son, I wouldn't have been able to produce one that was more like me. It's uh, it's amazing how uh, how he's just so similar to me with his interests, and um, you know he's got uh, he, he's got a real passion for. Um, all things uh, nature and uh, loves fishing and loves doing all the other things I like doing. So uh, he's my best mate and we have uh, a lot of fun together. I saw that a photo, I think, on one of the social media outlets that he was fishing for a catfish. Yes. I think and I think he snagged this huge catfish. I think he even went and caught it by hand. Uh, do you remember that? Uh, I think that was down in Hunter's Hill. Off, uh, Hunter's Hill Ferry Wharf is a great spot to go fishing if uh, if anyone local is listening. And, um, yeah, we're out uh, most weekends, provided he's good to his sister and there's no arguments and he doesn't get banned from fishing for a week. He um, He's out there pretty often. Now, real estate. What inspired you to pursue a career in real estate? Um, prior to real estate, I was... Uh, working at the Australian Reptile Park and my role there was more of an education officer so I was dealing a lot more with the public than I was with the animals and that was a real shift from you know being out the back and, and playing with all the snakes and I was talking to a mate that was in real estate and I was saying I was kind of getting a bit bored with you know working with the animals you know every day and, and I was enjoying more of the interaction with the public and he, uh, he started waxing lyrical about the joys of real estate where you're, you're meeting people all day. That's your job. You know, you're, you're putting buyers and, and you're, sellers together. You're very good. And I remember when I first met you and you, showed, you, you were showing me a, many, many houses. The one thing that really stood out for me was your patience and the fact that you, you were so patient with me. And you'd say, Andy, I've got the most perfect house for you. <laughs> I'd say, no, because this is not for me, and you would just walk away shaking your head. <laughs> yeah, I didn't quite get you into a house, but that was okay. But that that's, um, yeah, look, I'm not in the sun digging ditches, and if you like people, um, being able to be involved in their life at what is always a, you know, time of great change. You know, most of the times when you're catching up with your your mates and you say what's been going on they say not much because you know it's we're in a bit of a uh, a treadmill for most of our lives and there's only these few periods where you know there's either you know births deaths or marriages or, or perhaps moving a house where there's these times of great change and and that's where I am injected into people's lives when things are changing so it's uh it's always great to be able to you know help people find their dream home or, or help people move from their existing home and uh, sometimes you're doing it for, you know, really positive reasons. I've, I've had a client that, um, 
and this is going back nearly 20 years, him and his mate that he worked at the bank with won a million dollars each on pick the margins in footy tab. You know, when you're selling someone, uh, or you're selling them out of their house because they've just bought um, five acres up on a hill in um, Bellingen is uh, is great. And then conversely, I've, I've had to uh, help people sell their house through divorces or bankruptcies or, um, or really bad illnesses. So um, it's... Uh, it's an exciting time um, to uh, to be involved in people's lives. That's fantastic. That gives a real insight to the human side of being a real estate agent. And, and that's what people are looking for. You know, if, um, you know, there's that, uh, you know, the old saying, no, no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And um, when you are uh, involved with people at, at such a time, they, they really want to feel like you've got their back. At the moment with real estate, there's, it's, it's in the media a lot, and I'm sure that a lot of the people listening to this will be really interested in a no BS approach to what's going on in the real estate market at the moment. Yeah, look, we're recording this on the 31st of July in 2019. We've just seen interest rates drop um, over the past couple of months down to a record 1%. So, um, you know, that in isolation sounds like a good thing because... Um, you know, money's cheap or the, the um, mortgage is going to be less than it would have been um, in days gone by. But, uh, you know, there's um, there's other factors at play and, and, you know, the reason they continually are dropping interest rates is um, the economy's not going terribly well. Um, whether or not these um, reductions in interest rates are going to see things turn around and we're going to return to a, a bit more of a positive cycle remains to be seen. Um I think uh, looking at retail numbers and looking at what's going on in the building sector, anecdotally from from just dealing with clients in both those sectors, I'm probably a little bit more um, uh, pessimistic on what the future holds over the next couple of years. I, I am not sure we're going to see this turn around and we're going to get out unscathed. Um, we've had uh, you know corrections take place all around the world and uh, real estate prices drop um, substantially over a prolonged period of time. The past 12 months, we've certainly seen prices drop, um, but I think it's wishful thinking to uh, think that we're just going to see it bounce back from here. And um, as you said, owning your own home and going through the whole moving process is such a, a big event for, for people, and you're involved with that. And it's really great that you've got a uh, you've been able to give us a really positive outlook on on what you think is going on with the industry. One thing that you mentioned to me though was the fact there's such a shortage of houses on the market, um, which reflects the fact that people people just aren't buying or selling. Yeah, um, and and this is there's always a story behind the headlines. And just while I'm I'm talking now, I'm just flicking through my notes from um uh, the Dye, I work at a company called Die Jones who cover the uh, the Sydney region and um, we were having a look at uh, at the clearance rates and last month the clearance rates across Sydney um, were really strong the auction clearance rates and that's always used as a um, a barometer on on the strength of the market it's what the uh, media always latches onto in um, across the Die Jones network in April we had a clearance rate of sixty one percent and in June we had a clearance rate of seventy eight percent. The real story, though, is in the amount of stock that was on the market. In April, we had 110 houses for sale, 
and in June we had 66 houses for sale. So essentially there was half as many properties for sale in June as there was in April and that would have made a, uh, a big impact on seeing clearance rates jump from 61% to 78%. So there's always a story behind the headline and I thought they were really interesting numbers. Great. Just before I move on, I just want to wish you all the best with your industries. I know it can be a real tough industry to be in during these times. Yeah, yeah, it can. Um, and I think in these times, uh, boom times, I think, uh, make everyone look good. So in the boom times, all the out-of-work actors become real estate agents for a period of time. And when things get like this, it, it probably puts the hose through the industry and, um, you know, the, uh, the the people who are in for the good times um, don't enjoy a, a tougher market and uh, you find that there's plenty of people that leave the industry and go looking for greener pastures. So, you know, there's so always like a positive. Yourself, people like yourself that have been the, the backbone of the industry for so many years yeah. will, will, um, will always kind of be in there through the challenges, through, through the thick and thin. Yeah, I've been working in real estate since 95, so um, you get to see a few cycles over a period of time like that and... Um, you know, this is a cycle, and um, I think uh, when buyers and sellers both realise that if you're transacting in the same market, it doesn't really matter if it's up or down. Um, you know, in fact, that if uh, prices do drop, you're also paying less in commission and you're paying less in stamp duty, and also means that it might take you a little bit longer to sell, but it also means that uh, you're going to have um, a little less pressure on the buying cycle. I remember when the market was booming a couple of years ago, you know, you'd put the house on the market and you'd have five people competing on it in uh, in the first week and you'd sell it for a great price. But then you had to go out and compete as a buyer and, uh, and that was really, really stressful. Whereas now um, selling is going to take a little bit longer, but you're going to have a lot longer to um, decide on uh, what your next house will be and, and not not just purchase something for the sake of jumping in as the market's galloping up. Just changing the subject, you're, you're an avid reader and a listener to audio books. We, all, we always have a great conversation about what we're reading and what we're listening to. Mm -hmm. what, 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 are you, what kind are you listening to and reading, to, reading at the moment? Uh, I got onto the book Sapiens. I think you and I were talking yeah, about great. Sapiens yeah. and, and I think a lot of people have, um, have, have found that book. His follow-up book was one called uh, Homo Deus, which I'm reading at the moment and I'm re-listening to, uh, to Sapiens. Um, they would probably be the main ones. Um, I've always got audio books going. Um, and uh, Jimmy Barnes has, has two autobiographies. I'm not a big cold chisel Jimmy Barnes fan, but uh, I really enjoyed those books. They were good. Um, and uh, just on a, on a fiction front, I just finished uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And a, a, um, That's great. Uh, yeah. Uh, the Clockmaker's Daughter was probably... The other one, David Goggins, uh, wrote a book called Can't Hurt Me, which was fantastic. You talk about no BS. That guy, uh, that guy doesn't have an ounce of BS in him. He's uh, um, coming out of the U.S. military. He uh, he's, he calls a spade a spade. So that was uh, that was really really enjoyable as well. Interesting about Sapiens. The one thing that I found fascinating about that read is the fact that. The, uh, one thing I learned from that was the fact that humans uh, are classified as several species of of, of human beings, um, 
the Neanderthal was also a species of human being as well. Yeah, um, <clears throat> quite. I think. For, I think if you just if you just recall that that a couple of the species were living on the earth at the same time. Yeah, Homo erectus, um, the Neanderthals, and um, uh, there was the uh, species of pygmy um, sapien that was uh, from Flores in the uh, same islands as uh, I remember Flores because it's the same island that uh, Komodo dragons live. Because what do you attribute your success to? Success in life, family success, and business success? Can you distill it down to just a couple of key points? Um, in 2010, I read a book called, uh, I think it was called The Other Eight Hours. Um, and so the premise of the book was, um, you know, we spend eight hours asleep, we spend eight hours at work. I wish I only spent eight hours at work. It's, a, it's probably a bit of a luxury now to think that we're going to get out of work with eight hours. But um, the other eight hours, um, you know, in the evenings were going to be the hours that would determine how successful you were in in whatever uh, whatever area you wanted to pursue, whether or not it was continuing on your day job into the evening or uh, or pursuing a passion beyond there. So I think uh, I think not wasting that that other eight hours is a uh, a really good um, uh, metric for how well you're going to do in some of these other ones. Um, I do think genetics play a role in I've got a mate who's going through a tough time at the moment um, uh, and you can just see that uh, you know genetics does play a part in in I guess people's ability to bounce back from um, you know tough times uh, and I guess I've been lucky that I've got a pretty positive outlook on life. Um, having that support network that you, you you go back to every day in the way of family mm. that you can that that kind of unit that you can rely on to to support you and that that's really important for your mental health as well. Hugely. You know, I adore my wife and um you know having you know her support and having that network at home with the family I think is is hugely important and I think if uh, if anyone doesn't have that you need to be finding it somewhere, you know, whether or not it's in a sporting group or, you know, I'm very involved with the herpetological society and, and um, you know, any of these groups just just provide you with a tribe, as, uh, as Seth Godden, you know, termed the phrase. But, uh, but having a group of people that have an interest similar to your own, I think is... Um, Vitally important to um, yeah, our mental well-being. Can't do it alone. Absolutely, absolutely, and um, you know sometimes that that DNA, if you like, is the thing that will just enable you to go out and start, you know, interacting with like-minded people. But I think there needs to be that connection. You know, we're a, we're a really sociable organism, and we need to be around people who are, you know, are going to be supportive of us or similar to us, and you're feeling like you've, um, you know, you're feeling like you're part of something. And, and developing great friendships that nourish, mm. that nourish you and really participating in that friendship is very important as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's crucial. And what keeps you motivated, Chris? Uh, enjoying what I do. You know, I think, that's, that, well, that's, that's a plus. That's, that's, a, that's a definite plus. Yeah, enjoying what I do. And then, you know, you, it's, there's nothing new in, in goal setting, but, you know, from... Time to time, you, you stop doing it. You know, it's one of those things where we know what we should be doing, but we're not always doing it. Um, so I think uh, if you don't have your 
long and medium term goals that then you can break down into uh, shorter goals and then break them down into daily goals and, and you know I, I think hourly goals is probably a bit of a stretch for me certainly but if you can figure out what you're going to be doing each day and then on a daily basis decide when you're going to be um, uh, meeting those goals, working a to-do list, all that sort of stuff. You know, I've, I've got a to-do list and while we're talking, Andrew's reached out and grabbed his daily planner. You know, um, it's all a cliche, you know, if you don't, you know, um, if you fail to plan, you're planning to fail. So, um, but cliches are cliches for a reason. So, so you can take, you can take it on as much as you can, but the main thing is being organised and being methodical in your approach to what you do. Yeah, yeah, you know, knowing what you want to achieve each day and, and, you know, there's no greater satisfaction than getting to the end of the day and, and having a look at your list and seeing you've been able to cross everything off it. So, um, yeah, having that, that kind of daily focus is uh, is really important and having, uh, having you know, goals for holidays or, or whatever you want to do that's going to uh, put that spring in your step during the day is um, is really important. It's been great talking with you, Chris. I really got a lot of insights from that I didn't know about you, even though we've been friends for quite some time. Mate, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me and uh, apologies for coming in with a croaky voice. Normally I'd be, I could be singing to you, but uh, not today. I'll leave Chris's contact details on the uh, the podcast introduction. So if you want to contact Chris regarding anything we've discussed in this uh, this podcast, I think that'd be okay, wouldn't it, Chris? If we... Oh, it'd be great to hear from anyone listening. Thanks, Chris. Thanks.